Good morning, Northview Church. I'm kind of in awe of God this morning. So I just want to take a moment before we dig into the Word. If you just take a moment, bow your heads, and just, just think about the throne of Jesus today. Just think about His holiness today. That He desires that we're in His presence today and the privilege that that is. Father in heaven, I am in awe of You. And Lord, I'm asking You to move this morning as we dig into the Word, that You would open up the Scriptures, that You would make this alive to us. Father, that You would show us how to respond to You today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing this morning um, in our series, Strange Things, looking at the signs that Jesus performed in the book of John, the, the weird things that He did. They're strange. They're supernatural. They're not things that we see every single day. Things that most of us has probably never experienced before. And I was telling, I meet, I've told you all before, I meet with a group of guys every Sunday morning, and I was telling them this morning that that God kind of changed the direction of the message from what I had written this, this week, changed the direction of where I was going to go. So I spent yesterday or last evening, yesterday kind of pondering it and last night rewriting much of the sermon. So if I go over, it's the Holy Spirit's fault, not mine. And if I go short, then you can say praise Jesus. The Lord had, had a shorter message for Greg today. So I, that, that's kind of the, the catch-22 is... I don't change my messages very often, but when I do, I don't have time to, to really kind of hone in, so I may end up talking long, and I'll apologize in advance for that if that's the way it goes. Um, but I think the Lord has something for us here today that we need to dig into. As we look at these strange things that Jesus did, these uh, signs or miracles that Jesus performed, everything that Jesus did had a purpose behind it. He didn't just do it as a party trick. He didn't just do it to show that He was all-powerful. He had a reason deeper than, than just performing a miracle for someone. And we can say the same thing about God the Father. Everything that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God in Jesus Christ, everything that they do has a purpose. It is all with a purpose. Even when things aren't going your way, even when you make poor choices, even when there's evil in the world, even when there's illness or financial hardship, everything has a purpose that God can use. God uses it all for His purposes. We know this out of Romans 8.28 where Paul wrote, we know that for those that love God, catch that, those that love God, for all believers in Jesus Christ, all things work together we're good. Even when life is hard, even when things aren't going how you thought they'd go, even when it seems to all be falling apart, God uses all of it for good. Who's heard of Johnny Erickson Tata? Is it Johnny or Joni? I, I heard it both ways. Which one? Joni? I thought Joni too, but I, I heard it pronounced Johnny this week. So we'll go with whatever you want to say. Oh, <laughs> Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, in 1967, she had a diving accident. If you don't know who she is, uh, 
In that diving accident, she was diving into the Chesapeake Bay. She misjudged the depth of what she was diving into, and she ended up becoming a quadriplegic since that accident. And just like most of us probably would, she got pretty angry at God that that happened to her. She was just a teenager, and now she's facing life as a quadriplegic since 1967. The, The first thing that she said she learned to do was to put a paintbrush in her mouth, and she learned to paint just holding a brush in her teeth. And then she learned to write holding a pen or a pencil in her teeth. And over the course of her life, she's still living today, over the course of her life, she has written 40, over 40 books. She's a best-selling author. She, she's also a singer. She's recorded several albums. And, and one of the songs that she recorded was nominated for an Oscar in 2014 for Best Song in a Movie. Uh, she is a prolific writer. She's written for magazines. She's written for newspapers all around the world. She founded a ministry called Johnny and Friends or Joni and Friends, whichever way you want to say it. It is a Christian ministry that ministers to the disabled community. Uh, she hosts radio shows. She's hosted television programs. She even served underneath President Reagan and President Bush, the first President Bush, on the council that drafted the America... Uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. Is that what it's called? The ADA? Americans with Disabilities Act? She served on the council that drafted that. By any measure that we look at life, she has lived a life of importance, a life that I call it a life of consequence. There is importance in what she's done. There's meaning in the life that she's lived where she could have in 1967 folded it all in and said, I'm just going to sit in my wheelchair and not do anything. She has taken the circumstances that she's in, and use them to accomplish great things for people and for Jesus. Her life didn't just go good after the the accident that she had. Everything wasn't great. In 2010, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, aggressive breast cancer. And as she's undergoing treatment for the breast cancer, she's dealing with chemotherapy, radiation. She's still a quadriplegic, so she has all those issues. Well, she befriended Francis Chan. I've spoke about Francis Chan to you all before. He's a a pretty well-known preacher, pastor, um, evangelist. And she had become friends with him. And Francis was dealing with lots of changes in his ministry in 2010. He was struggling. And while she's going through chemotherapy and dealing with just life as a quadriplegic, She takes the time to write Francis a letter to encourage him in the the difficulties that he's going through. She's dealing with cancer treatments. She's dealing with chemo and radiation. She's a quadriplegic and she still finds time to reach out to someone and encourage them in the life, the, the changes that they are going through. Our ability to live a life of of consequence or a life of meaning, it comes from how we respond to the tests in our life. It comes from how we we pick up the pieces of when life seems to be falling apart and we still live out what God's called us to. Really, whether you're a believer in Jesus or whether you're not, our desire as humans is, first, we want a life that's comfortable. But we also, I believe it's deep within our souls, we want a life that has meaning. 
that we impact those around us, our communities. Whether you're a Christian or not, we still seek a life with meaning. In John chapter 8, as, as the, the story in John chapter 8 is progressing, the Jews are trying to, to kill Jesus. They're looking to stone Him. And, and as He is about to be stoned, He slips away and He begins to head towards the temple. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Scripture, I think, is updated, and we'll be on the screen. If not, you can follow along in your Bibles. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, as they're on their way to the temple, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So as he's walking, him and his disciples are walking to the temple, trying to escape being killed, they see a blind man on the side of the road. It doesn't tell us what the blind man is doing at the time, but there was very little that someone who was blind could do. So he is likely sitting on the side of the road begging. It actually tells us later in the passage that he was known as a beggar. So likely when Jesus and his disciples see this man, he's sitting on the side of the road Begging, And the first thought that the disciples have when they see this guy is, why is he blind? What was the sin? What caused this to happen to him? There, there was an assumption during this period of time that anyone who had a disability, it was the result of sin in their life. Something had happened, whether it was their personal sin or the sin of their parents. Something had happened that had caused the disability to come on them. Some even believe during this time in prenatal sin. In other words, saying, well, maybe he sinned in the womb before he was born, which we all would look at and think, well, that's crazy. But they believed that that was possible at the time. The disciples, they see a man with needs. I mean, he needs some help. There wasn't a lot he could do for himself during this time. He needs some help, and it becomes for them this point of discussion. They discuss, why is this going on? It's a point of discussion rather than an opportunity for them to show someone compassion. They're just trying to figure out why he's blind, not how can they help this guy. Verse 3, as the story continues, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus responds here. Some disabilities, even today, are caused by sinful actions. Some things that, that people are dealing with are a result of sin in their life. We do things that harm ourselves sometimes, and they cause things to happen. And maybe a disability can be a result of someone else's sin. You, you may know someone who is disabled or, or suffering from something because someone else made poor choices. But Jesus makes it clear here. He says it's not that he sinned. It's not that his parents sinned. It wasn't a personal sin that caused this. And then he says, but we have work to do. Just a side note, kind of a little rant for me to go on here. 
Christians are really good at discussing issues, but not going to the root of the problem, not addressing what the issue really is. We're really good as Christians to say, poverty's rampant. People need help. And we point to all these things, and maybe we'll throw a little money at it, but we don't get up out of our seats and go address the issue. We don't go show compassion. We don't look for solutions like instead of just saying, well, they've made poor choices, they're in poverty. We don't look to equip them to, to be able to get a job like job skills training or all kinds of things, maybe helping them with their education so that they can go get a job. But we look at things like addiction and we'll say, well, they've made terrible choices in their life. We'll, we'll maybe get them into rehab, but we don't address the issue, which is in reality a hard issue in discipleship. They need to know Jesus, and we need to, to get down and dirty into the ministry of addiction to help people know Jesus and to get them to lose those habits and to be able to rely on Jesus. None of it's simple, but we're really good at talking about the issues and not addressing the problems. We've seen this come up just in the last month and a half. Christians, we have preached for since, I don't remember what year it was, but since Roe v. Wade was passed, we've preached against it, we've prayed against it, we've marched against it, we've talked about how important the sanctity of life is, and now Roe v. Wade has been overturned, and we're sitting there celebrating, but now's when the work starts. Now is when... Mothers who are in panic mode need the most help. Now is when we step up and say, I'm going to go minister to them and not just celebrate the overturning of a law. We have been great at talking about problems, but we haven't been great at addressing opportunities for compassion. And that's the church as a whole. All across the Western world, that has been the issue. It's interesting here, as the disciples say, why is this man blind? Jesus' response is, he, it's not because of sin, it's that the works of God may be displayed in Him. Now there's a couple of different interpretations that you can look at there. The punctuation in the verse is, is not for sure. So it could be saying he, he is disabled, period, but the works of God could be displayed in him. But most translators would translate it as he is disabled because the works of God need to be displayed in him. Like, did God cause this? Did God make this man blind so that he could do work in his life many years later? Remember, he was blind from birth. He was blind from the very beginning. So here's a question that we've got to answer for ourselves as believers. If God made this man blind so that His glory could be displayed, are we okay with that? If someone in your life is dealing with a disability or a financial issue, or whatever it may be, and God has put that into their life in order that He may be glorified, are we okay with that? 
Are we okay with, with looking at God saying, how can you let something bad happen just so that you can get glory? Are we okay with that? Can we come to terms with that? You probably know someone who's dealing with an illness right now. Maybe you know someone who has cancer or has a disability or is struggling with, with their health for whatever reason. If God were to have put that on them, would you be okay with that? Maybe you, you or someone you know is dealt with financial hardship. Or you don't even know if you're going to be able to make ends meet. But the point was for God to be glorified. Are you okay with that? Maybe you've been in a relationship that's fell apart. And the other person in the relationship just wouldn't come to the table, just wouldn't get on board with, with trying to get it fixed. And now your life feels like it's in a shambles and you feel broken. But the point was to glorify God. Would you be okay with that? Here's the truth. We don't know that God made this man blind. But we do know whether He caused it or whether He just let it happen, He is using it so that He can be glorified, so that the works of God can be displayed in Him. And we know that happens in our life because Paul told us he uses all things to work for good in the life of a believer. But that does not make it easy. Many times we don't understand what God's trying to do in our life. And many times we get angry about it, we have questions about it, it sometimes will push us away from the Lord. Here's a thought for today. If it was going to glorify God, if God's works could be shown in your life, would you be willing to embrace suffering? Would you be willing to embrace sacrifice so that God can get glory? Is that something you are open to? Because our response to that determines whether or not we live a life of value and a life of consequence and a life of importance. Are you willing to embrace suffering? But, but even more than that, even the next step, are you willing when you see suffering, instead of just talking about it, are you willing to intervene to alleviate suffering? Are you willing to do the works that God has called you to do? To love God, love people, make disciples in order to alleviate suffering so that people can know Jesus. Verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now the story got a little gross. Put yourself there. You're the blind man. You can't see what's going on. You just hear these people. They're talking about you. They're not. It doesn't say they're even talking to him. They're talking about him. Probably something he deals with all the time. Hearing snide comments, well, he must have done something. He deserves what he's got. And then you just hear, 
Yeah, it would take a lot of spit to make mud. So it wasn't just that. I mean, it's like a lot of spit. And we're getting pretty grossed out by that. And then he picks it up and he rubs it on the guy's eyes. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to do this and then you're going to be healed. He, he just picks it up, starts rubbing it on his eyes. I, I would guess the guy probably thought, here we go again, there's some bullies just picking on me because I'm a beggar sitting here. Why spit? Why, why would he make that choice? We don't know. Because we've seen up to this point, Jesus has healed people just by speaking. He's healed people just by touch. He's healed people that weren't even there just through faith. But, but in this instance, he chooses to make spit, to make mud, and to rub it on the guy's eyes. And then he tells him, go, wash it off, and you will be healed. It, we see, as this man responds, we see good come from his response. We'll also see bad consequences come from his response. But, but here is our bottom line for the day. The choices that you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. The, the response that you have to Jesus today will determine how you live out your life of consequence, your life of meaning tomorrow. Our response determines those consequences. We see several responses to this act throughout this passage. And the first response we will see is this man, he goes and does what Jesus told him to do. He goes to the pool of Siloam and he washes the mud off of his eyes and he comes out seeing and as he walks around, all the people are looking like, isn't that the guy who was blind and now he sees? And, and they're like, isn't that the beggar who we saw? And now what's going on? And then some people will be like, well, it looks like him, but it can't be him because he was blind and now he, he's not blind, so it's obviously not him. They, they respond in doubt. They respond saying, who, who did this? And he says, Jesus. I don't know who Jesus is, but this man named Jesus put mud on my eyes and now I can see. So their response in doubt is to take him to the religious leaders and say, this is what happened. He, he says that he's healed. You're the experts. Help us out. It wasn't, I don't think, a malicious act. I don't think they're taking him to get him in trouble. I think they really want to know what's happened here. But the Pharisees, like the Pharisees always do, they don't buy it. They don't believe this, this is a thing of God, mainly because He did it on the Sabbath day. Jesus had a habit of doing that, if you haven't noticed. He was always trying to, to push the envelope to show that religion wasn't what it's about. It was about relationship. He does it on the Sabbath day and they've seen this miracle and they see this guy who can now see. And it's a supernatural act and they don't believe it. And he's like, how can you not believe? The blind man. A, a sinner could not have done this. A man who's a sinner could not have healed my sight. How can you not believe? It's reminiscent of Acts chapter or Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, there's this rich man and this man named Lazarus, and they both die. And the rich man had mistreated Lazarus during their lives. And so Lazarus, he, he's in heaven, and the rich man is in hell. 
And the rich man looks up and he sees Lazarus with Abraham. And he's like, he's just looking up and, and he begs Abraham, could you just give me a sip of water? This is so much torment. And then he says, Abraham, can you send him back so that my brothers will know? And here's what Abraham says in the passage. Abraham said, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he, he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That passage is saying when someone is supernaturally risen from the dead, that is not enough to change the heart. We, we see this passage and, and you, you see this man who has this supernatural healing. He can see, and up until this point, there's never been a healing of blindness in the Old Testament. There's a prophecy that the Messiah would do it, but for this to happen means He is God because only God could do it. But their hearts are hardened. When Jesus is performing these signs, it is not about giving the guy sight. It is about his heart. It is about drawing him into a relationship with him. But these Pharisees, they see the supernatural. It wasn't enough for them. Their hearts are hardened. So they respond in doubt. And they say, okay, I know who will know. He'll get his parents. So they bring his parents in. And they ask his parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he see now? And the parents' response is, verse 20, his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. You see, the Pharisees respond in doubt. And the parents, well, they're not doubtful. They know that this is true. They know this has really happened. They know their son was blind. But they've got a lot to lose. So, so they deflect it. And they say, well, go ask, go ask him. I don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. I don't want to cause anything to where I will lose the way that I live my life. Go ask him. That's how a lot of Christians live our life. We claim Jesus. We know that it's true. But when it's going to cause us to lose something, we shut up. And we don't stand up for what we know Jesus is calling us to stand up for. We know the Gospel's true, but you're not ready to let go of fill in the blank. It could be any number of things. It could be, I'm not ready to let go of a sinful relationship. I'm not ready to let go of this that brings me pleasure. I'm not re ready to let go of this sin in my life. 
But there's consequences to not following Jesus. And we see the consequences of a hardened heart. We see the the consequences of, of someone who's just protecting their own self. But we also see the consequence of those who choose to follow Jesus. See, the Pharisees, they doubt. The the parents, they deflect it all. But this blind guy who's been healed, he stands up for Jesus. He defends him. He says, how could a sinner do this? I was blind, now I'm not. And then they ask him what happened. He says, all I know is I was blind, and now I can see. He says, this guy has to be a prophet. I don't know who he is. His name's Jesus. Now I see. That's all that matters to me. And the consequence is he gets kicked out of the synagogue. All he did was tell what happened, and they boot him out. He loses his church. He loses his his group of people in that moment. They kick him out. But the choices you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. The, The big question for this guy would be, was it worth it? You lost what you know because you chose to stand up and follow Jesus. And you didn't even know who Jesus was. Was it worth it? And that brings me to my favorite part of this passage. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Remember, he's never actually seen Jesus at this point. He doesn't know who this guy is who's talking to him. Jesus said to him, You've seen him. And it is He who is speaking to you. And He said, Lord, I believe. And He worshipped Him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near Him heard these things and said to Him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see your guilt remains. Let me tell you why this is my favorite part of the story. This blind guy goes from sitting on the side of the road, begging, unable to see, to being healed and having his sight restored, to being put on trial and then kicked out of his church. And then... He doesn't go to find Jesus. Jesus comes to find him. Jesus hears he's been kicked out. He goes to hunt him down. And he tells him, it was me. I am the Messiah and the Son of God. Was it worth it? He thought it was worth it. Because the passage says, as soon as he realizes it's Jesus, he falls on his knees and worships. 
He doesn't come with excuses. Jesus, you've cost me everything. He falls on his knees and worships. Some of you may know Amber Ogle. She's visited here a couple of times. Her husband used to be the worship pastor at First Baptist Pigeon Forge. Uh, he was at Chill Howie Hills for a while. Amber, several years ago, I don't know her well, but I've met her a few times. Um, several years ago, Amber got pretty sick and had to go in for emergency surgery in the hospital. And this week, she posted a, a, a post on Facebook celebrating that. And I sent her a message saying, can I use that Sunday? Because it's so, it, it points to what we're talking about here. And here's what she wrote. It's on the screen as well. How is it possible that I'm celebrating six years of life without a colon today? Six years ago, a very sick version of myself underwent emergency surgery to remove my colon and receive an ostomy bag. I woke up and saw my bag and cried. After surgery, I have to be honest, I was frustrated with God. I had begged Him to heal me, and waking up with an ostomy bag was not my idea of healing. It was through this season of change, frustration, middle-of-the-night ostomy bag leaks, and lots of tears that I realized sometimes God wants to bring spiritual healing through difficult circumstances. It was right in the midst of those trials that Jesus led me back to Himself. He pursued me because Lord knows I was far away, and He healed me in ways I didn't realize I needed. He showed me He never leaves. He showed me love. He showed me that He is my Father, Comforter, and absolute best friend. He showed me that sometimes you have to lose some things to gain the best things. He is still showing me His faithfulness and grace every single day. She had every reason to complain. She had every reason to be angry at God. But her response is worship. Blind man had every reason to be angry. I've been blind my whole life. And now you come along and you do this just so that you can get some glory. He had every reason to be angry. But he worshiped. Everything we do in life has consequences. Every choice you make, good and bad, has consequences. Everything. Newton's third law is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And, and we can look at our spiritual life and there's some truth in that even in spiritual life. Except, he says there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's not always equal for God. It's always greater on God's end. Because here's the truth. All of us are blind. All of us are spiritually blind, spiritually lost, spiritually dead. And He can heal us of our blindness. And the reaction to that is something greater than we ever could imagine. It's Jesus. Will you choose worship? Or will you be like the Pharisees or his parents 
and remain guilty? But will you choose to, to embrace suffering and embrace sacrifice in order to be someone who finds opportunities to alleviate suffering, to show compassion? Will you worship? Or will you remain guilty? Romans 5.8, but God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, there's not an equal response to that. Because He died for us, and all He asks out of us is to surrender to Him. He suffered on a cross for us. And all He asks for us is to believe, to accept it, to surrender to Him. He died so that your sight would be restored. He died so that you would be healed. He died so that your life would have some meaning to it. That there would be value in your life. That's why James says to consider it joy anytime we face trials because trials produce endurance and it produces perfection in us. I don't know what you're going through. But I know we all hit the trials. If you're not in a trial right now, count yourself blessed because you will be at some point. Some of you are in the middle of it and some of you have just come out of a trial. And you can look back and say, Jesus brought me through. But some of you, whether you're in this room or joining us online, you've gone through trials, you've been in the middle of a trial, and you're still blind because you've never seen Jesus. You've never surrendered. You would take a moment. I'm going to ask you to to pray. You would all bow your heads. Have you surrendered? The blind man surrendered. Have you surrendered? Or are you given just enough like his parents did you're unwilling to let go of some things. Or maybe you're just totally in doubt of whether this is all true. The gospel is that we are all spiritually blind. That we are all dead. Spiritually. With no hope. our eternity is in hell. But Jesus. God sent His Son to this earth. God in human form so that we could know Him. He experienced the same pain and the same trials and the same temptations that we experience. And then He went to a cross and died for you. so that you could have sight. So that you could see Him. 
so that you could have a life that had value. Maybe you're in this room today and you've never committed your life to Jesus. This is your moment. I don't want to bring you up here and embarrass you. I don't want to trot you out in front of everyone, but I want to pray with you. You would say, yeah, I've been in church or maybe I've not been in church much, but I've never committed my life to Jesus and I want to know how to do that. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to bring you up and embarrass you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, yeah, I've got some questions I need to have answered. Or maybe you would say, I know it's all true, but there's some stuff I don't want to let go of and I need somebody to pray for me for that. I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm not going to ask you to even tell me what it is. But if you have something like that in your life that you just can't let go of, would you raise your hand? Anyone else? One more thing to, to share with you. If you want to, you can look up. And that's to have a conversation with you as a church. Most of you in this, this room, you're, you've been a part of Northview for quite some time. Most of you are partners, and this is especially if you're a partner of Northview. Sometimes the challenges are in the life of the church. They're in the life of believers together. And it's how we respond to those as a church that gives us strength and helps us complete our mission. We're in a challenge. We've talked about how we do not know where we're going to meet in church next year. Our lease ends June 30th of 2023. We got 11 months. And we've been speaking with the, the landlord of the building and we think we're just too far apart on financials. It would be a huge financial hardship for us to stay here. So we're looking and we're trying to find where God has for us. And we know He's already got it picked out. We really wish He'd tell us sometime soon. Because it's frustrating. And it begins, doubt even begins to creep into my mind. God, are you going to take care of this? But how are we going to respond? We could fold and say, well, God has nothing to do with it. Like the Pharisees did. Or we could respond like the parents and say, yeah, there's an issue there. Let the leaders handle it. They've got it under control. Or we could respond as a church like the blind man in worship and say, I'm willing to embrace sacrifice in order to accomplish the greater good. In the next few weeks, and it's always awkward to talk about things like this, but the next few weeks, we're going to launch a building campaign. We're having to launch it quicker than we intended. But we're going to launch it in the next few weeks. So my challenge for you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've committed to being a partner of this church, 
how's God leading you to sacrifice for the mission? We need people to step up financially. We're going to ask you to make a commitment, a one-time gift to help us with a down payment. And then we're going to ask you for an ongoing commitment above our tithes in order to get us in a place where God's planning us. And maybe you're like, I can't give anymore. Can you put in some blood and some sweat to help us get it done? Can you pray? Can you surrender and just say, God, however you're leading me to do this, I'm on board. I know this is where you've planted me. And I know you've got some great things planned for this church. You're a partner with Northview. I'm asking you to pray through that over these next few weeks as we begin to, to gear up to roll out this building campaign. God has a place for us. I have no idea where it's at. I have no idea how he's going to bring it together. And I know we can't do it if God doesn't intervene and do it for us. Would you pray for that? Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, as we look at the challenges that we face in our personal lives, the things that we know you take and use them for good, Father, would you take the blinders off of our eyes to see that you are working in the situation? Show us what you have brought us through, whether it's sickness or finances, whether it's relationship issues, whether it's any number of things. You know the trials and the tests that your people in this room have gone through. Show us, Lord, how you have responded. And Lord, as a church, as we look at the challenge we are facing as a church, would you let us see your work in the, in this, in the midst of this? Would you let us see you move? Lord, would you meet the needs that are before us right now to find a space or to find some land to be able to bring that together, Lord? We know that you have it figured out. Lord, would you let us be a part of that? Show us, Lord, how you're working. Father, for each person in here who is committed to the church, not for guests, Lord, but for those of us who are committed to this body of believers, Lord, would you begin showing us now how we can be a part of this, whether it's financial sacrifice or time or physical sacrifice, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray right now that you use the challenge we're facing as a church, that you use the challenge that individuals in here or families in here may be facing, and that, God, we see you glorified just like this story today showed us. You use all things for good. Lord, let us just worship you in the middle of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.